right. Well, I want to add in my um, my acknowledgement of Father's Day and uh, Happy Father's Day to all the daddies in the room. Um, when I thought about uh, when we were studying going into this uh, Life of Prayer series, uh, I thought, okay, as we're looking at this, there's one message that I I, I actually put in into my planner before I did any of the others, and that was this message. I thought. On Father's Day, I want to come back and I want to share, wherever I am in the series, I want to share this message on this day. And that was it from the beginning. So this is kind of where everything has been revolving around the kind of the beginning and the ending kind of uh, flows out of this one. It's a very important message. I think it's a very appropriate message for fathers on Father's Day and what you can pass on to your children. So a lot of things you can pass on to your children. We think of health, wealth, and wisdom a lot of times. We'll make sure they get the best education. We'll make sure they're, they're healthy and they, 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 they have a good medical plan or they have a good doctors or they're sick and all that kind of stuff. We think of health, wealth, wisdom, that, that kind of thing. Even sadly, heard a conversation this past week uh, of, of a dad who kind of bowed up his chest and was excited about being able to throw his 18-year-old his first keg party. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of things you can give your kids in life, but if what you're proud of is giving them a beer, uh, then you uh, have very low aims and goals in life. And so aim a little higher. One of those things I think would be a very valuable thing to pass on to your kids beyond health, wealth, and wisdom would be a prayer life. Passing on a prayer life would be something that would empower them, would be an example to them, would show them your absolute dependence on God, and hopefully translate into their life as being dependence on God. The greatest men in scriptures were people of prayer. Obviously, Jesus, who we've been studying in this life of prayer, uh, is he's kind of he is the topic of our uh, the subject matter, uh, the noun, if you will, of, of, of everything we're studying about prayer. He is. The, the person that we're studying. But you can also look at other people who prayed. Solomon was a person of prayer. Whenever uh, he, he made a very long prayer. In fact, the longest prayer in the Old Testament was attributed to Solomon. 1,050 words in the King James Version uh, of, of his prayer of dedication of the temple in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, which is interesting. Uh, just a correlation just came to me this week in preparing this message that what did Solomon do when the temple was complete? He took time and he prayed and he dedicated the place of worship to, to the Lord. What are we doing six weeks before going into our new facility, our new place of worship, this becoming our children's place of worship? But we are trying to do similar to what Solomon did in leading the people to pray. Because I really believe it's not about the building. As much as we talk about the building, as much as we talk about Envision, as much as we keep talking about thank you for your adjusting, it's not about the building. It's about God and a relationship with God. And it's just kind of helping us to center on that. And prayer does has a way of helping us to center on it. Now, if Solomon had the longest prayer in the Old Testament. You might not realize this, but Jesus had the longest prayer in the New Testament. In John chapter 17, so you might find that, it's called the high priestly prayer. It's called the prayer of, of consecration. It's called the farewell prayer. There's about nine different titles that have been given to this prayer. None of them Jesus gave it to it, but it's mostly, I've heard it called the high priestly prayer. I think a better 
better definition would be it's the true Lord's Prayer. It's actually Jesus praying here. Now, when you, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, how, that, that's not his prayer. Again, what we've rehearsed and, and reviewed, that's a model. That's a template to kind of really measure, okay, is my prayer, does it contain the elements that it needs to really contain? That I, am I really uh, engaging God at a level that he would like? When you come to John 17, you're coming to this intimate moment with God and God the Father, God the Son, in this conversation, in this lifting up his prayers. And the scene is in the certain sacred place, one of Jesus' favorite places to go, the Garden of Gethsemane. And I talked to back a couple of weeks ago about how you need to identify certain sacred places in your world that you go to to meet with God. All right, Find those places, declare them sacred, make them sacred simply because you're dedicating those your place to meet. We got Garden of Gethsemane was Jesus's. In the garden, he's there. He's with his disciples. We've looked at the life of prayer from the life of Christ, and we've seen it from the beginning to the end. This Jesus prayed. And we're seeing now, we're all the way now towards the end of his life, and we're seeing it of his time on the earth and, and, and serving before his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and we're seeing this, this kind of play out. And it's Jesus with his disciples right after the, the washing of the feet, right after the, the Lord's Supper, and, or excuse me, communion or the Passover meal, as we would call it, uh, actually. The Passover meal, they, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you know the story, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further. Those were his closest disciples. It's like it wasn't the inferior disciples, but some of the disciples hung back a little further, and then Peter, James, and John went on a little bit further, and then Jesus went on a little bit further. That's the scene, that's the situation. And as you know, because you've read the Gospels, that the disciples were suffering from a, a sleep deprivation, and, and they start falling asleep during the, this prayer time. Jesus comes, wakes them up, falls asleep, wakes them up. You know, it's kind of like Groundhog's Day all over in, in, in kind of a prayer meeting kind of way. And so, but one of the times, and I don't know exactly when it was, but John the Apostle, one of the beloved disciples of Jesus, he was within earshot of hearing the cries of Jesus and the prayers of Jesus, and he records them. And we get this intimate glimpse in time, this intimate moment. Now, do you want anybody to read your prayer journals? Do you want anybody to read what's going on? Sometimes it's an intimate, private part. that It's just between you and God, but John is hearing it. John records it. This prayer is lifted up to God in John 17. And that's where we're at today. And in this, in this prayer, we, we see Jesus in, in intensity. We see Jesus in, in a personal side. We see Jesus full of strength. And we also see Jesus full of grace. We see compassion. We see passion in Jesus. All in this one situation. All in this one prayer. Six different times. I'm going to give you some quick statistics about this prayer. Six different times Jesus addresses Yahweh God as Father. So a very common, again, occurrence of Father in prayer being there. Seventeen different times some derivative of the word give is mentioned. Give. You've given. Past tense, present tense, future tense. He's using this word give again and again throughout. Now, that's important. That's an important uh, correlation that we need to make. Let's not skip over that. Give, given, 
will you give? Listen, Jesus himself shows his absolute dependence upon the Father. If you want to give your kids anything of lasting eternal value, don't show them. I'm speaking to the fathers, but I'm speaking to everyone today. But let me just kind of speak to the fathers on Father's Day here just a little bit more personally. And let me say this. Don't show your children that you're a man's man and you can do it and you don't need any help. Show your children that you absolutely can't do it without God. And we have Jesus here showing perfect Jesus, all-powerful Jesus. Jesus can heal, but yet Jesus is recognizing his absolute dependence upon God. Also, we see in Jesus in the first five verses, he starts the prayer by praying for himself. But he ends the prayer, the lion's share of the prayer, he spends praying for his disciples And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you pray for those that God has put into your life, especially the next generation, especially those that you are, you're leaving and fostering and raising up as a family? But notice what he prayed in the beginning when he said, he prayed this. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. That's in verse one. Now, it was interesting, if you go to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 33, you find Moses say, I want to see the glory of God. But you find in John chapter 17, Jesus says, I want to be the glory of God. I want to be the glory of God so I can show you off in your glory. Glory is an important element throughout the Gospels, throughout the Scriptures. Understanding the glory of God is what heaven is about. Even in heaven, they pray that they're going to shout this when all the tribes and all the peoples of all the world stand before the throne of God. It says this in Revelation 5.12. It says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Glory, the glory of God is what it all comes back to. And Jesus said, I want you to glorify me so that I can glorify you. We could spend an entire series just talking about the glory of God. But I want to go quickly past the first five verses where Jesus prays for himself. Not that it's not worthy of studying. In fact, you could, I read an entire book just on this one prayer. You could create chapters of a book just on John 17. We're going to do one message. And so therefore, I'm going to do it in a horrible injustice. So I give that disclaimer on the front end. But I do want to focus on Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, if you want to know how to pray for those that God has put into your life, if you're a single person out there and you want to pray for someone, you have nobody in your world or in your life, you want to pray for someone, this is how we pray. This is how we should pray for, for people. This is how we should pray for the next generation. Even Jesus prayed this. He said in verse 20, uh, it said, I, I do not ask of these only, but also for those who will believe in me. Jesus is not only praying for those that were immediately his disciples. He was praying for all future's disciples. Listen, let me tell you what Jesus is praying for you today, what I'm about to share with you. He wasn't just praying for those 12, those 11 that were actually still with him at this moment. He says, I'm going to pray this for all those who will believe, future tense, in me. 
If you're a follower of Christ today, Jesus is in heaven interceding before the Father. Hebrews tells us that. What is he saying to the Father whenever he's not bringing any? And you don't know what he's saying to the Father. What I'm about to share with you is what he's praying for you. When I talk about Jesus and I talk about the Father, I'm talking about the Godhead. I'm talking about Yahweh God. He's our Father. He's, he's, uh, Jesus is our Savior and the Holy Spirit is our Counselor who's always with us. And so when we pray... Our, our, our prayers are, are, are brought to Jesus and Jesus takes them to the Father because he is, he is the one who mediates between us and the Father. But this is not like three different gods. This is three in one. Three workings of God, three persons of God all rolled up into one. So what is Jesus praying about? What is our Father hearing from us? And how can I pray? So it's not, this is not just a a message of edification. This is a message of application. It's edification in that you're getting a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus and how he's praying for you, 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 and you, and me. But it's, it's also application. So as you pray, pray like this. As you think about your children, as you think about your maid, as you think about your, your people that you work with, the people you go to school with, is you think, okay, how can I pray for them? Then take lessons from Jesus here in his prayer life. Now, a great thing about praying Scripture, and this is true throughout the, the, the Bible, okay? Now, listen, this is one of the most revolutionary things that ever happened to my prayer life was when I learned to pray the Scriptures. Literally take the Word of God, hear it, process it through, formulate it into a prayer. It's not a difficult process. You read it, you hear it, you process it through into a prayer, and you speak it out. Because then you know you're speaking truth. Then you're, you're speaking the Word of God to God. You're agreeing with God. You're on track with God, all right? And that's one of the things that we struggle with is when God's zigging and we're zagging, all right? And sometimes we need to get on His page. In fact, we always need to be on His page, even in our prayer life. So when you pray the scriptures, you are getting on his page. So I want to talk about, again, I'm going to pick on the dads today because of the day that it is. But this goes across the board. Anybody, everybody, praying for anybody and somebody, this is how we can pray for somebody. But let's talk to the fathers today and how to pray for your children. And when you look at this passage, hopefully you see this. Because in verse 9, he makes it very clear, this is what I'm doing. I am praying for them. How clear is that? And everything that he says from this point forward from, uh, is how Jesus is praying for you and me and you and his disciples on that day. So the first thing we need to pray for as we're thinking about a prayer list for our children, fathers, here it is, is we need to pray for their security. God, would you secure them? Now, I'm not just saying, God, you know, when you watch uh, the horrible events that happened at at the, the school up in, in New England and what happened to the movie theater in Colorado. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, yeah, physical safety. That, that, that's important. But I'm talking about a deeper security than just keep them free from getting run over by a car as they play in the streets, okay? You know, keep them safe as they go on a trip. Okay, that's okay to pray. But I want to take it to a deeper level. Because when Jesus is praying, I think he's praying about a, a, a level that we don't want to overlook. Verse 9, I want you to follow along as I read. I'm praying with them. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. 
all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Now that's the turning point. That, I think, is the motivation. That's the, the emotion, the pathos behind why Jesus prayed this. He said, I'm leaving this world. Jesus knew within hours he would be betrayed. He knew within, min- he knew within a day he would be crucified. He knew his life on this earth was coming to a conclusion very quickly. Yes, he would rise three days later. Yes, he would be on the earth another, another 40 days thereafter. Yes, he did ministry in that time. But he knew it was coming to an end. And he knew he was going away. And that's what he said in that, in that passage. is, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, this is his prayer. Bring it down to the table. Keep them in your name. Keep means to guard, to protect, to watch over, to hold close, to keep an eye on them, which you have given me. Notice the personalization. It wasn't a sense of beat him into subjection. He really, really believes and is passionate about us and compassion. That they may be one as we are one while I was with them, I kept them. So there's a keeping imperfect thing. I was with them, I kept them for a while, but I'm not going to be here anymore. Uh, Them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them. And he even goes down in verse 15, he says, keep them from the evil one. Now, if you read through this, and I don't want to create an, over, uh, an unjust alarm. But parents, friends, family members, you can pray your kids get healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you'll be doing them a great service. But if you do not pray for their own spiritual security and safety as they journey through this world, you are doing them a disservice in your prayer. There is a real battle raging. There is a real war going on out there. And we cannot miss it. It's what Paul talked about when he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities and unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now that's kind of this kind of a Ghostbusters kind of theme there, it sounds like. What's this whole world that we're fighting not against and what we're fighting against? It is the spiritual world. I want to say this to you, and you may not register with you completely, but just let it be something that will challenge your thoughts. Your spiritual world is of a greater reality than your physical world. Now, it's hard to quantify the spiritual world. The physical world, we touch, we smell, we taste, we we hear, we do all these senses working on our behalf. But sometimes we totally, because we're so involved in the physical world, what we can touch, taste, hear, smell, we're so involved in that, we miss the spiritual world. But the spiritual world is, I believe, of greater reality than the physical world. And Satan operates and God operates and good and evil operate within the same and you don't want to miss it. And we have got to realize as we walk through this world together, it's what Jesus was crying out. It's the very first thing he prayed for. God, keep them. God, I've guarded them. God, I've kept them. But now I'm leaving them. Would you keep them? 
And please, I want to raise up, if nothing else, in all of us in this room today, is a sense of an emotion inside of us that, oh my gosh, reality is out there. And the best thing I could do in this spiritual reality is to pray for my kids. Let me just tell you, you better be praying for Grace Point Church pastoral team. I have nothing to reference this to, but let me just say this. There would be nothing better right now to conquer what God wants to do through our church, in our community, around the world, than to see some kind of moral or ethical failure to flash across the news media. And the reality is it could happen like that. I was on a plane this past week to Chicago, and sitting next to me was a nurse, and she told me, this young 24-year-old nurse told me of her cousin who took one hit of meth and was hooked. She told me about how he was rotting his teeth out, how his skin was discoloring and there were burns in his skin and all he went through over one hit. You better be praying for your children every day because there is a battle for them. And the thing is, is we live oblivious to them. We think if we can just educate them that it will be enough. I can tell you this. There's such a spiritual battle for my own soul that sometimes I win or lose based solely on my prayer life. I can see victories in my life and I can see defeats in my life based on the quality, the intensity, the regularity of my own prayers. And there have been times, and I can mark them, when I've known people are praying for me. And that's the only way I got through what I was going through. Listen, I am wanting us to see there's a battle raging. And we cannot domesticate and we cannot bring down and weaken down and water down what prayer really is and should be. John Piper said prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that Paramount functions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. John Eldridge, a great writer to men, but I think across the board, men or women can learn from this as we live out our faith, is our God is a warrior because there are certain things in life worth fighting for, must be fought for. He makes a man or a woman a warrior in his own image because he intends for a man to join him in the battle. My question to you moms and dads, how much are you fighting for your kids in prayer? Now you'll go to a PTA or a PTO meeting or you'll, you'll go to the school board or you'll go this and you'll fight for this quality of education or you'll fight for this in the community. But how much are you on your knees fighting for your children in prayer. Let me tell you what to pray and what not to pray. First of all, what do you pray? Pray that they will find the real source of joy. It's what Jesus prayed in this section of Scripture located whenever in this passage from from, uh, uh, verse 9 down to verse 12. He's sitting here praying about uh, his disciples. And even in verse 13, he says this, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That they may have my joy. He prayed that. See, we are such a sensationalist culture. We can't find happiness in enough places. 
we, we don't we get tired of this relationship. Instead of building it up, we go look for a new relationship. We're on this job, and this job doesn't satisfy us anymore. We jump to another job, and this money that was a lot of money at one time doesn't become enough money. We've got to get more money, and we're just jumping for one thing to the next. My prayer is that you may be filled and fulfilled with the joy that God wants to give you. So pray that they will find true joy and satisfaction. All right, number, number, number two, what not to pray. Don't pray that, that into hiding. Don't try to sequester them. Don't put them into some kind of Christian conclave, if you will. Notice what Jesus said. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Hey, listen, we're on a mission. This is real. This is, we're playing for keeps. But that you keep them from the evil one. Let me just say... Pray for the security of your children, that as they're on mission with God, they will be able to be an influence in this community. They will be able to be an influence in this world, but they will be find the greatest fulfillment in Christ. Let's talk about the second thing to pray for your kids. Fathers, lead the way. Pray for your kids to transform them. Number two, transform them. Number one, pray for their security, not just to stay safe and sequestered in the home, but in the world as they live out the mission of God, but also transform them. See, God's doing a changing work in all of us. Hopefully he's doing, hopefully you can measure God at work in your life. I want us to all read Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Read it out loud with me. It says, he began a good work in you, will bring it So you're a work in progress. If somebody doesn't like something about you, just say, I'm a work in progress. And so are you. Uh, God wants to work in you, transform you. And when you see and you break down the prayers of, of chapter 17 and you put out six different prayers that he prayed, two of the prayers he prayed for himself, the others he's praying for disciples. You can't skip past verse 17 before you see it because he mentions it quite clearly there. He prays that they would be sanctified. Now, sanctification, what is that? That's, a, that's kind, of a, kind of a big high church word. We don't throw that around that much. So here's my definition. It's God at work renovating, recreating, regenerating his life into your old, tired, wayward life. Now, you may not feel tired and wayward, but in reality, spiritually, you probably are. What he's wanting to do is put himself in you. So what does he do? He prays it. He prays it into us. Verse 17, he mentions this word sanctified in verse 14, 15, verse 17. He says it like this, he pray, or he prays it like this, excuse me. Um, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. Notice he didn't take us out of the world. He's sending us to the world, but he's sanctified. He's praying that we would be regenerated, renewed, on mission with him, doing what he's called us to do. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. What in your life is God needing to sanctify, make right, regenerate, make whole, that's tired and broken and not fully alive? See, the reality is, 
is that Jesus mentions the world here 19 times. 19 times in in chapter 17. Most of the time, he's referring to the world of the 19 times. He was referring to the world's beliefs and ways and systems out there. And so here's what the world's going to do. The world's going to try to pull you in their direction. Think, believe, operate, function, fit into their mold. But Jesus is praying, no, 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 no. You need to come this way. There's a new path for you. There's a new direction, and I don't want to just shape you and make you look pretty on the outside. I want to transform you. And when I say sanctify is a transforming work, it's exactly what Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica. Notice what this verse says. In, in, in uh, Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself, what's the, what's the next word? Sanctify you. Completely. Now what does completely look like? May your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The work that Christ wants to do in all of us, the work that Christ wants to do in your children, is not just some kind of cosmetic, beautiful look on the outside where you look and smell like a Christian. Thank God for that. He wants to transform us. Our mind our body, our spirit, every part of us. Now, here's the question for all of us. Big question. Are you allowing God to penetrate and permeate every area of your life? And I mean, you're going to have to think about this. The way you do your business, the way you do your spare time, the way you live out your life. Is He in every area of it. When Paul was talking to the church in Rome, he told them not to be conformed in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but to be transformed. Now the word conformed is much like you would do in preschool. When you take this mold, this cast, and you pour into this cast or this mold. And then you flip it over, and then you let it dry, and then you peel it off. And you know what I'm talking about. And then you, you look at this plaster Paris, and you've got this shape of something. This world is wanting you to be poured and conformed into it. But Jesus says, or Paul said, don't, 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 don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. The word transformed there is the word where we get metamorphosis from. A total transformation inside and out, outside and in. Where is God transforming you? Conforming versus transforming. What about your children? Are you reproducing a fake Christianity into your children? Are you modeling for them a total life transformation? Is Sunday your holy day, but Monday your unholy day? You get to do whatever you want during the week, but hey, we're going to get things right on Sunday, but then we'll start all over again on Monday. I think they call that hypocrisy, but I'm not sure. Listen, pray for your children. Pray to protect them from the evil one. Yes, absolutely. Pray that God would protect them from the evil one. But also pray that he would transform them. The third thing that you find Jesus praying in this passage that I want to mention is he prayed that they would be unified. Bring them together. Keep them together. 
How many families have been torn apart? Just shattered. God, God, God wants us together, but Satan comes in and shatters the home. How many churches have been divided? You go to the early church and you find that they were struggling even in the beginning with conflict resolution and different doctrines and schisms that were going on. If you're in a body life group, I actually put some extra processes that I think through when I'm going through conflict resolution. If you're in a body life group, you can talk about that this week. I don't have time to go in that today. I want you to just focus on the prayer side of it. Because if you'll notice what he prayed in chapter 17, verse 11, he said that they may be one even as we are one. In verse 21, he prayed a very similar prayer uh, when he said that they may be all uh, all be one. Down in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I want to say this. You need to find unity in your marriage. You need to find unity in your church. You need to create it. This, I, When he's praying this, he's praying this not for the family, as much as he's praying it for all of his disciples. The reality is that Jesus knew that there would be a lot of divisions and schisms and separations and that would happen. Let me say this. Dads, I'm speaking specifically to you because you need to be the leader, lead by example. But you need to get your family into a church. Take Grace Point off the table. I'm not trying to sell Grace Point today. Find a church. Be there. Plant yourself there. Join it. Serve in it. Give to it. Pray for it. Speak well of it. And be one with it. Be all there. A study was done in, in, by some Swiss folks, and they were studying the effects of a family and the life and how it relates to them being in church and out of church. In essence, let me give you the short snapshot of it. They found that, that families where the mother was the only one who attended church and the father stayed home, only about 2% of the children grew up and went to church. But when the father and the mother both were actively involved in the church, 33% grew up and continued on. What was it? See, what was happening at home is this, the father needed to be there, the mother needed to be there, they needed to be one and they needed to be a part of this community together. I, I pray that you as a family will find that church and you will be there. You will be one as your family. You will be connected in your family, but also you'll be connected to a larger family. Let me say this. I am most vulnerable. Personal, I'm just being real with you here. I am most vulnerable when I'm alone. I felt the weakest when I lived in Africa at times because I didn't have a faith community. I feel the weakest whenever I don't have a group of men that I can be real with and share my struggles with. I feel the weakest. I need community. You need community. We need to be united together. Your children need it. Our families need it. Jesus felt it was so important that just before he left, he said, Oh, dear God, let them be one just like we're one. Pray for the next generation. Pray for their protection from the evil one. Pray for the next generation that God would transform them and not the world conform them. 
Pray for the next generation and you model it in your own by being a part of a faith community that is full of faith, hope, and love. That's the church. Be there. Fathers, I speak to you today. Our children are praying. Are you praying? Pray for your children. Pray for your families. Have a life of prayer.